0: Heavenly Father, how can we thank you that we have the opportunity to boldly approach the throne of grace? Not just when we're doing well, not when we think we're performing at the top of our game. We're to come boldly in time of need. Father, the time that you love to see us come boldly the most is when we've fallen flat on our face, when we're weak when we're battered, maybe when we're discouraged, to just come before You and say, Father, would You search me and know my heart and try me and know my ways and see if there be any evil way in me? Father, we ask even now that if there's anything in thought, word, or deed that has been an offense to You in our life, bring that before our mind and convict us by God the Holy Spirit that we might be able to be honest with You, be humble before You, and confess that sin that we might receive the cleansing and the restoration to fellowship that puts that spark in our life that comes as only Your Holy Spirit can give it to make the Word of God come alive before our eyes. So, Father, these things we lay in Your hands, we entrust to Your care, And we believe that you're about to accomplish something that will impact our lives for all eternity. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm going to try. I'm not an artist. I'm going to try to give you a symbol, sometimes pictures. Whenever it comes time to wash, I want you to think of the cross. I want you to think of what Christ accomplished on the cross, what it means to you personally, the fact that all your sins, past, present, and future, thank God for that, were laid on Jesus Christ at the cross. They were paid in full. The debt has been paid, and as Jesus said, at the end, it is finished. We need to wash often. We also need... I wrote something here that I need to make sure I have. We need to eat... I say this on Josh's behalf, but I say it on your behalf as well. You will never get enough to get where God wants you to go if all you get is what you get when you come to church. If you're expecting the pastor to give you in an hour of time or a couple of hours a week everything that you need for the Christian life, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not enough. We're going to have to develop an appetite for the Word of God we have to develop a hunger for the truth. You know, the Lord Jesus said, and I talked about simplicity a minute ago, no one ever taught more simply than the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing complex in anything that He ever taught. In fact, in the upper room, He spoke about things of great simplicity, and yet, as in all of Scripture, you could study it the rest of your life, and you would never reach the bottom of all the truth that's there. But he spoke with great simplicity in John 7, 17 when he said, if any man wills to do his will, he'll what? He'll know. The truth that's contained in that single statement is absolutely amazing. If anyone wills to know is not what he said. If anyone wills to learn is not what he said. There are a lot of people who love being challenged academically. There are a lot of people who like to have their intellect stimulated. And they can hear it all, and they can record it all, and they can even remember it all, and they can recite it all, and they don't even know it. If any man wills to do his will, It's not just that he'll learn, not just that he'll remember, not just that he can recite it back to you. Jesus said he'll know. And the word to know, as we know, speaks of intimacy. You understand the idea of knowing from the Hebrew? Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. It's a word that speaks of the deepest intimacy. It's a word that speaks of that which brings forth productivity. If any man wills to do his will, I mentioned his will last night. I said there's a difference between the will of God and the plan of God. The will of God is expressed in his word, and it's the same for all of us. The plan of God is not necessarily stated in the word, in the word. that is, what is your gift? What does God want you to do? Where does God want you to live? So on and so forth. Who should I marry? What should I do with my life? That's a part of the plan of God for your life. Now, yes, it is the will of God for you. So we can talk about the will of God for all of us generally, and we can speak about the will or the plan of God for us personally. The only way to know God's plan for our life, as my pastor taught me many years ago, is the same way to find out your spiritual gift. Do it. If any man wills, what's the next word? To do. To do. We're talking about the transformed life. And I'm going to tell you that you can sit in Bible class the rest of your life under the greatest teacher that ever lived and you will never experience the transformed life. Because there are certain elements that are missing. One of which is the desire to do his will. Another is the desire to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will. You know, when I started our ministry, I had nothing. Had nothing. I had no options, no opportunity. Nothing. I started basic training Bible ministry. I was sitting on the curb of a street corner when I just came to me, I'm going to do this. And I determined how I was going to do it. I'm never going to push it. I'm never going to promote it. I'm never going to sell it. Nothing I do, nothing I say, nothing that we offer will ever be for sale. I will never ask for a cent. I will never share all of my needs with people. I will come to you, and if you want this thing to fly, you make it fly And if you don't, please, dear father, shut it down. Because if it's running, you know, uh, a lot of times we try to live our Christian life like the guy that's pushing his car down the road. And he can't understand why I just bought this car. It's brand new. And it just seems like an awful lot of work to get this thing down the road. And then someone gets in and turns the key and he goes, what's that noise? All of a sudden, the spirit of God is in control. And everything's different. So that's eating the Word of God is more than hearing it. It's easy to hear it, to digest it. That's something entirely different. Wash, eat, walk. What kind of a symbol could I give you for walking? Well, Paul gave it to us here in Romans chapter 8. I don't know the best picture that I could give you for it, but I think I'll try this one. The fire of the Holy Spirit. What was it Paul said in our last class? To be carnally minded is death. I know a lot of Christians that are walking dead. They're believers. They have eternal life. But you know what's foremost on their mind? My job, my house, my car, my retirement. You know what kind of retirement I have? Nothing. You know what kind of health insurance I have? Nothing. Do you know what I do if I get sick? I die. I'm going to be alive as long as God keeps me alive. And when he's done with me, I'm dead. I told Nan, take me out in a canyon, bring my guns and ammo out, I'll sit there and target practice till I die. I'm done. People say, I wonder if I should retire. I can't retire. I have. I'll retire when God retires me. I can't get tired until I get retired. And He'll take me home. Have you ever stopped and thought the Old Testament was all about the Father? It was about Jehovah. We know that Jesus appears in the Old Testament at certain time. We know that the Spirit of God came upon people like Samson. It was all about the Father. Out of Egypt I have called my son, he said. And then we come to the Gospels and it's all about Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, His ministry, His death. And then we get past the resurrection and we get into the epistles. Have you ever caught on to the fact that they're all about the Spirit? If the Spirit of God is not in it, it's dead. And so we walk, again as Paul says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded What's he tell us there in Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... There's a little bit of a surprise coming in that one that might shock you. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations have service of worship. Transformation. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The making new of your mind. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. It may not have ever crossed your mind, but the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, God created a new creature inside of you. Remember what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, I think about verse 24-25? That we have become a new creature created in righteousness and holiness. There is that in you that Paul calls the new man that is sinless. Do you know why that's there? because God had to create a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell. God had to create in that temple that you are, the temple of the Holy Spirit, a holy of holies. Have you ever stopped and thought as you look at the temple and you see the outer court, and here we have the labor of cleansing, well, we have the altar of sacrifice and the labor of cleansing, and then we have the part that we call the temple proper and it's divided in half and you have the holy place and in here is the holy of holies with the Ark of the Covenant. Have you ever stopped and thought that that was just a picture of the person that you now are? Everyone could see the outside and that is a picture of your body. Few saw the holy place. That's a picture of your soul. Only one saw the Holy of Holies, and that's the Spirit. When we talk about the transformed life, we're talking about the ultimate goal of sanctification, a process that begins the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. And when the Spirit of God takes up residence within that newly created, as Paul says, new man, I was going to do a conference on the spiritual ultimate fighting championship. We never got around to it because I wanted to talk about the constant warfare going on between the spirit and the flesh. Paul says they're contrary to one another. They cannot agree. They never will agree. And so here he's telling us that the mind, remember what the heart is to the body. The mind is to the soul. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about your mindset. The mindset on the body, mindset on the flesh, is death. Remember what James said? If a brother or sister is hungry, naked, destitute, in need, and you say to them, be warmed and filled, hey, I'll pray for you. Go your way. Nevertheless, you don't give them the things needful for the body. What is the prophet? How did he describe it? Faith without works is dead. That's the mindset on the body. But the mindset on the spirit, everything in our life comes down to our mindset. Every moment of our life, we're making decisions. We sow a thought, we reap an act. We sow an act, we reap a habit. We sow a habit, we reap character. But when we sow character, we reap destiny. This is what Paul is trying to teach us all the way through the book of Romans. Where is our mind really at? What is the real priority of our life? A.W. Tozer Great old teacher said in every soul, there are two things. There's a cross and there's a throne. He said, whichever one you take, Jesus is going to take the other one. The lady was just asking me about Hebrews chapter 6 and the people that are crucifying the Son of God afresh. And we do that every single time we take his place on that throne. We want to be on the throne of our life. We want to set the priorities. We want to determine the direction. We want to have our way. We want to get what we want. And there must be a reason why Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him seek his own comfort, promote himself, and get what he can get. Remember that verse? No, you don't because it's not there. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. You know what that means? That means I give away the title deed to my life. I I no longer belong to me. I belong to him. And therefore I, in denying myself, claim to myself. What does that make me? Oh wow, look here, right there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We're in debt. Again, I throw this out all the time when I have pastor's conferences and I say, can grace incur debt? No, no way. Paul says it can. He's already said it twice here in Romans. I am a debtor to the gospel and I am a debtor to live according to the Spirit. I have a debt. I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. I have a claim on my life. Someone bought me. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am now to be a slave to Jesus Christ. And He has a right to my allegiance. If any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after. You know, Josh was asking me about Saul of Tarsus and where he may have been in relation to the time that Jesus was crucified. Is it possible that he was standing at the foot of the cross? I think it's very likely that he was. But I took him back a little bit further. I think we see Saul of Tarsus before we see him in the book of Acts. I believe it was Saul of Tarsus who was the rich young ruler The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, What must I do works that I may gain eternal life? Jesus said, Well, you know the law. Rattled off a few of the commandments. The young man said, All of these I have kept from my youth. (coughs) There are so many things in that story that ring true about the Apostle Paul in statements he makes about himself other places. know what Jesus said to him? Ah, what a fine young specimen you are. I got one thing for you to do. Sell everything you have and follow me. What did Paul say he learned in Philippians chapter 3? I count all things lost that I may gain Christ. He said, I was a rising star in my generation. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. My lineage is pure. Concerning the law, I was found blameless. In other words, I believe Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. When they examined him, they could find no fault in him. That rich young ruler said, I've kept all these from my youth. Paul studied under the feet of Gamaliel. He was famous as a young man, rich, young ruler. What does ruler mean? To be a ruler, you had to be a member of the Sanhedrin. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I had to learn to go down and to go down and to go down and to go down. You know what it cost him? It cost him everything cost him his family I believe his father disowned him when he came to Christ he lost family he lost friends who knows what else price that he paid he said I learned out learned what was really valuable and I let everything else go you know my friends when we can live with an open hand and say to God and absolutely mean it anything you want to take from me today you take Here's my life, here's what I have, here's my wife, here's my children, here's my grandchildren, here's my home, here's my health, whatever I have, you want it, it's yours today. You want my life, it's yours today. That's what it means to take up the cross. That's what it means to have a spiritual mindset. Spiritual mindset is not, I love theology. I know a lot of people that love theology and they don't have a spiritual bone in their body. a spiritual mindset is going to realize the only person that can bring about this transformation that we're talking about in my life is God, the Holy Spirit. And in order for Him to do it, I have to die. Not only do I have to die, I have to die daily. I have to make up my mind today that my life goes on the altar. What do we think he's talking about when he says in Romans chapter 12, present your body a living sacrifice. You know what a living sacrifice is? A dead sacrifice is easy. You kill it and you put it on the altar. By the way, what kind of sacrifice was acceptable? Without spot and blemish, right? Without spot and blemish present your body, that's this house that we live in, a living sacrifice. Well, if it's living, it keeps on living, which means the sacrifice has to keep on being offered. And we have to keep laying it down and laying it down and laying it down day after day after day. We walk so that we can work I'm going to drill this until you can't forget it. What kind of a symbol could we come up with for work? Well, let's see if we can just draw a... That look familiar? Take my yoke. There was never a more humble man that ever walked the face of the earth than Jesus Christ. There was never a person who sought to serve every person they came into contact with like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know being a human being how he could have carried the load of compassion that he had. You know, when I hear what's going on in our world, do you know what the number one commodity on the black market of the world is tonight, today? Today? Children. 8 million children a year go missing. They don't disappear. I've seen pictures of them. I've seen video, videos of them. They're on the slave blocks of the world. 125,000 is the beginning bid for many of them. And it breaks your heart. Some of them we've had an opportunity to make a difference in their life. Some of them, Fassel in his ministry has had an opportunity to make a difference in their life. What would it be worth to deliver one child from a life of torment and torture? Well, every time we play the part that God has for us to play in our life, every time we lift the needs of those up in prayer, every time we put the yoke on and do whatever God has given us to do. Listen, you don't have to be great. You don't have to be big. You don't have to have a lot of influence. You just have to use what you got. The greatest power on earth is a believer on his knees in fellowship with God Led by the Spirit and praying effective prayers. We wash, eat, we walk, work, and we rest. Say, so how do we rest? Shall I draw a symbol of a pillow? We could call them my pillow guy, right? That looks more like a buffalo. I don't know. (laughs) The rest is here. The rest is in the work. It's an amazing thing. When we exhaust ourselves in the service of the King, there is a peace and a joy. How does Paul put it? Hey, would you like to enter the kingdom with me right now? Anybody want to enter the kingdom? Hold your place in Romans 8 and turn with me to Romans 14. A lot of people have never gotten this one. Here's the kingdom of God for you and I right here, right now. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're either living in the kingdom of God right now or we're not. And if we're living in the kingdom of God right now, we're experiencing righteousness, which brings peace, which brings joy. So we are debtors. And we're debtors to the plan and the purpose of God for our life, that the Spirit of God living out in and through us, brings Jesus alive in our world today. We're His mouth, His hands, His feet, His ears, His heart. That's why we're called the body of Christ. Spiritually, we're seated with Him at the right hand of the Father. Practically, He is with us and in us. And that's why as we move on in Romans chapter 8 to the verse everyone knows, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Could I just suggest something to you? Every single promise in the Bible is conditional. I want you to think about that. Every single promise in the Bible has a condition attached. This promise is that we know that all things work together for good. And usually that's where we stop. But the text says to those who love God, What was it Jesus said? If you love me, you'll live for your own selfish ends. Isn't that what he said? If, if you love me, you're going to seek uh, you know, better job, more money, nicer house. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If my word abides in you and you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. So when we read Romans 8.28 and we find that all things work together. Soon ergo. The little word that I want you to get is the preposition that's not sun, that is soon, which equals co in our language. All things cooperate for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. The interesting thing about this and the reason I bring it up because we're dealing with the idea of the transformed life and we're trying to work our way through at least the mountaintops of Romans to get to Romans chapter 12 and the transformed life. And this is something we can't leave out. Because it's actually only one of eight co actions in Romans 8. And those eight co actions have to be working together, or things are not cooperating so that everything in your life works out for good. You know, I've seen Christians, I've been, you know, in the ministry for a few years. And I've seen things uh, where bad things happen in Christians' lives and those bad things have bad results and those bad results keep on having more bad results and things just go from bad to worse. And I say, hmm, how come that didn't work out for good? And I see others who go through even worse stuff, more severe tests and trials and they just We just visited a couple, Kurt and Sherry Johnson. Just visited them. I've talked about them all over the world. Whenever I see people that talk about their great spiritual life and how much they're doing, I think of them compared to Sherry Johnson, and I go, they can't even hold a candle. Sherry Johnson came to Australia when we were ministering there many years ago, went back home, had a little four- or five-year-old daughter, found out she had cancer. Battled cancer for the next how long? 10, 20 years. They were driving to California to visit family, got in a car wreck. She broke her neck, paralyzed from the neck down. Interestingly, the cancer abated for a while as she was trying to survive this horrendous wreck that she was in. She's been paralyzed since that wreck, which has been a long time. We went to see her in Denver two weeks after the accident. I said to Nan, as they took us into the room, they said, we'll bring her in to you. I'm trying to think how in the world, what can I say? How can I give some word of encouragement to this dear friend and lady? She was a great Bible teacher. used to teach youth at the youth camps. Just, Just vibrant and alive. I said to Nan, what can we say? How can we lift this? poor lady up. They open the door and bring her in and she says, hi guys, it's so great to see you. And it was like the sun just came into the room. And in all the years since she got paralyzed, you know how many times I've heard her complain? I've never heard a word of complaint of self-pity come out of her mouth. All things work together for good. But not to everybody. Let me take you through the eight cooperation words in Romans because they're quite instructive. The first is in verse 16. The Spirit Himself co-witnesses with us. That's what it literally says. The Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit meaning literally to witness together, you remember that according to the Jewish law, every truth had to be established by two or three witnesses. The Holy Spirit is witnessing together with our spirit that we are the children of God, children, technon, those who are born of God, those to whom the Spirit of God has produced a birth through regeneration, and verse 17, if children, then heirs. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, reserved in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God. If we're children of God, then we're heirs of God. But I want you to notice a little advance here. Co-witness. That's the first thing we see. Verse 16. Joint heirs, co-heirs, co-witness, co-heirs. Do you notice a condition here? We are heirs of God if we're children, but joint heirs with Christ if indeed we... suffer these all have the soon prefix what am i saying well i'm not saying anything what paul is telling us here in romans is all christians have an inheritance from god but some are going to share the inheritance of christ it's called eternal reward it's called above and beyond it's something more than just inheritance It is the inheritance of the firstborn. You remember in the ancient world that if there were three sons, they would all receive inheritance, but the firstborn son, he got the double portion inheritance. If we suffer with him, you say, what does that mean? Do I have to go to Africa? Do I have to go to China? Do I have to become a martyr? No. What does it take to suffer with him? Anybody in here that doesn't suffer? All it means is that you need to bring Him into your suffering. Whatever your personal sufferings may be, your trials, your tests, your difficulties, your sorrows, whatever they are, do you bring Jesus into them? Do you suffer them together with Him? Or do you leave Him out and complain and say, why would God let this happen to me? We're not suffering with Him. What are we doing? We're losing inheritance. If we suffer together with him, Paul tells us in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 12, if we suffer with him, we shall what? Rain. We shall reign with him. And if we suffer with him, we shall be co-glorified. Are you beginning to get an idea of what Romans 8:28 is all about? We use it so tritely. Take it back to its origin in Genesis 50 and verse 20, and you see Joseph, and Joseph is hated by his brothers. He's nearly killed by his brothers. He's thrown in the pit. They pull him out of the pit, sell him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take him to Egypt. No matter where he goes, he's sold on a slave block. You have to understand what that meant in the ancient world. Here this young 17, 18-year-old young guy was stood on a slave block, stark raving naked like a piece of meat. And they sold him as a slave. And he was bought by Potiphar. Potiphar took him into his house, the lowliest slave. What did he do? He worked his way up, worked his way up, worked his way up. Why? Because when you let God promote you, the sky's the limit. And Joseph humbled himself through the hatred of his brothers, through the slavery that he was sold into and then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and he resists and what does he get for it? Make sure no good deed that you do in the power of the Spirit will ever go unpunished. This world is going to get back at you for it. So Potiphar's wife lies about him. He ends up in prison. Where does he go in prison? He ends up over all the prisoners. The guy was a cork. You could shove him under water, but you couldn't keep him down. He just kept popping up. Why? Because he understood a fundamental principle that Paul is developing here, but it was first stated in Genesis 50, uh, 50 and verse 20 when his brothers came to him trembling and afraid that he was going to seek vengeance. And he said, you meant it for evil. God meant it to me for good. But you know what? It wouldn't have ended up the way it ended up if he had not followed this whole process right here. He was faithful. He was humble. He was diligent. He was hungry for the spirit and the truth of God. Co-glorified is the fourth. The fifth is in verse 26. I love this one. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He co... The word that we have here is help. It literally means to lift. To lift up. Soon, Auntie lambano. Big, long, bunch of triple compound Greek word. What does it mean? Soon means together with. Auntie means on the other end. Lombano means to lift. Here's the picture. My little grandson comes out with me, seven, eight years old. I'm working and I'm picking up stuff and carrying. Papa, can I help you? Yeah, sure, grab hold. He grabs hold. He thinks he's lifting. I'm really carrying the load. He's just hanging on to it. I'm the guy that's doing the sun anti lambano. Lambano means to take or to lift. And the idea is when you and I come with our pathetic stumbling, however poor we may feel, so broken that we can't even utter in words, we're crying out to God. The Jews always said the greatest prayers were always the prayers that were with tears there were prayers that you prayed, there were prayers you couldn't utter, and then there were prayers that were nothing but tears. That's why David says, I believe it's Psalm 58, my tears you have kept in a bottle. Why? Because when I get to heaven and I see those tears I cried that you kept as a memorial, I'm going to see that you were behind the scenes controlling everything, working everything together for my good. The Holy Spirit, every time you and I come stumbling in to the throne room of God's grace and we pour our heart out, God the Holy Spirit, mighty, mighty being that He is, grabs hold of your life and my life and He lifts it up. That burden, that care, that concern, He lifts it up and does a military press before the Heavenly Father and says, Father, here is their request and this is what needs to be done. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit of God does. And He helps with our weakness so that He makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And notice in verse 27, He that searches the hearts, searches our hearts. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How thankful we are. I don't know if you guys like country music. We're here in God's country. I hope some of you like a little good country music. But Garth Brooks sings a song that I think every one of us can at least say amen to, and that is thank God for unanswered prayers. He talks in the song about how he goes to the county fair with his wife, and he happens to run into the girl that he loved in high school, prayed, God, if you'll just give her to me, I'll do anything you want. That's all I ask for in my life. Please give this girl to me. And there here he is standing with his dear wife and he said, I looked at her and I said, thank God for unanswered prayers. How many prayers we have prayed and God said no, because the Holy Spirit who is carrying the burden of our entire life is saying, Father, this is not right. This is not good. This request needs to be rejected. Or sometimes this it's this request needs to be delayed. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's wait a while. But I want to throw something at you that maybe you never thought of. The language in these verses indicates that the Holy Spirit only does the heavy lifting when we pray. If you're not praying, He's not lifting. That's the impression I get from the passage. While we're praying, He is working together with us and He takes our burden, care, concern, request, whatever it may be, lifts it up before the Father and gives Him the perfect request. He translates what we're saying, changes it into the perfect plan of God and makes the request. And here I am saying, Lord, please let me go this way. And the Holy Spirit is saying, no, He needs to go that way. Can I tell you a quick story? I got seven minutes. I went to Brazil in 1967 as a 16-year-old kid. I was living in a primitive Indian village on the Padu River which emptied into the Amazon, in the middle of the Amazon jungle. During the time that I was there, I came under I was only a young believer, I had only been a believer a year or less. I came under demonic oppression like I have never known. Fassel can tell you a few stories about some of the things that happened in some of these other countries. And this demonic oppression that I was under convinced me that somehow, way, I had done something that offended God so much that I had lost my salvation. <clears throat> I tried to pray and I felt as if my prayers were just bouncing off the roof of that thatched hut that we were living in. I tried to open my Bible and read and it was as if there was a veil between my eyes and the Bible. I couldn't see the words. I felt isolated and alone and more afraid than I've ever been in my life. So I decided I can't live like this. I'm going to take my life. I thought if I've lost my salvation, I can't bear to live another day. Of course, you're not thinking logically, of course, when you're doing this stuff. If I kill myself, I only get to hell quicker, right? I thought I can't I can't bear this agony that I'm in. I took a long machete, razor sharp machete. I went out in the jungle and I was gonna put it right under my sternum and I was gonna fall forward. And as I was standing there thinking it was my last few moments on earth, I said, Father, if you have anything to say to me, say it now. And he spoke. He spoke a verse that I had heard from the pastor in our church from a guy that was suffering in an agony and he said, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Job 13.15 Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And the first thought that came into my mind was, Even if I've lost my salvation, at least I know the gospel. I can possibly share the gospel with others. I'll dedicate my life to sharing the gospel with other people so that they can have eternal life. And the moment I made that commitment, it was as if the darkness flew away and the light began shining in. The oppression was gone. But I had made a commitment. And that commitment was I will spend my life doing everything I can to share the truth of God's Word with other people. What you don't know in the background is that before I went to Brazil, my original plan was to go to Africa. And I had saved up my money from hauling hay through the summer so that I could go to Africa purely on selfish reasons. I wanted to go and see the big game and see the wilderness and all that was Africa and and I had everything set up. I was going to travel on a steamship over to East Africa and I was going to see all this stuff. And then just to stop me, God started the six day war in Israel. And the steamship lines were shut down around East Africa and I couldn't go. And it was as a result of that that my father heard about an old classmate of his that was in Brazil as a missionary and I ended up in Brazil. I said, God, I want to go this way. The Holy Spirit said, Father, take him this way. Went back home, finished my last year of high school, went to Bible college, Went through Bible college training, went through three years of Greek and Hebrew after that, took my first church, pastoring my first church. 20 years after taking, almost 20 years after taking my first church, 15 years, I got a chance to go to Africa. Place I wanted to go in the beginning. So I went to Africa, and I'm in Ghana. And the very first time I had an opportunity to teach the Word of God to a group of believers and they're standing in a little three-sided shack that was about half the size of this stage and there's about 30 believers packed in there and standing at the back of the room as I got up to teach my first Bible class in Africa is a young African fellow standing there with his Bible turned like this. You know what he had written on the end of his pages? Job 13:15 God whispered I know what I'm doing The Holy Spirit does a heavy lifting and we're only at what number 5 stay tuned after lunch I'll finish these up. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Again, bless Your Word. Challenge us. Speak to each of us according to our need. Guide us in the way everlasting. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.